right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, there is something really special happening in here this morning. I don't know if you sense it or... I'm not usually in the back. Um, usually, if you know, on the front row here, but I've been in the back doing some helping out a little bit this morning. We're, just, we're short a little bit on the long weekend, and it's just very cool to be in the back, and there's lots of this going on in the back, and God is really working here. I, and I wonder, I, I was just thinking, okay, what is, God, why this morning? I mean, Andy's doing an incredible job up here, of course, but I think there's something to it when we as a church go, we're not just going to be here about, and it's not just about us and what God is doing in us, but there's something about when we say God worked through us to do something somewhere else. And I think just that heart of us going, okay, God, we're going we're gonna to not just be about us, but we're going to be interceding together for all those students out there. And the Holy Spirit goes, bam, I'm going to show up there. I'm going to partner with, with them on, on behalf of all those youth that are out there at that camp. And uh, so I just, I just want to say thank you for like being there and being in the moment this morning and letting, letting the Holy Spirit work through you. It's been so, so good. Um, everybody survived the first week of school, all the parents. I see uh, you, you're, you look like you're intact um, for the most part. Awesome. Um, we got our three kids off this week and I dropped off my, um, I have two high schoolers and a middle schooler. And I had no emotion at all the morning of the first day of school. But then as I dropped Presley off at middle school, the two had already driven off the high school in Ethan's car. I dropped Presley off at middle school. She shut the door and walked away. And out of nowhere, it just like hit me in the gut. It was going to be the, was the last time I was going to have a first day of middle school in my home. And I'm like, I'm pulling away from the parking lot like this. That does not happen with me. But it's just like... Man, all the emotions that you have as a parent are just crazy, crazy, crazy. Awesome. Well, we've been in a series this summer called Flourish, and we're going to actually wind things down this morning. Um, this has been a lot of fun this summer. Actually, I don't know if you know this. Some of you maybe know this, but th this has been a series where all the campuses, most of the campuses in our network have been collaborating together. So all the, the campus pastors, we've been sharing stuff and swapping stories and illustrations, all that kind of stuff. And, and the idea was that we would just be able to have this series where we would talk about what it takes to really help all of us just flourish in life, flourish in our, our walk with God. Has it been helpful for you this summer? Some of the stuff we've been talking about? Awesome. And I just encourage you as we head into the fall to, to keep these habits and these practices going. And so we have one more that we're going to cover this morning, and uh, we'll get into it here in just a second. Um, in 1993... There was an epidemic that hit the Midwest that resulted in an estimated $1 billion of, of, of loss. And unless you were uh, farming in the 90s, you probably had no idea that this epidemic even happened because it wasn't an, an, uh, a disease that, that hit humans. It was an, a disease that hit plants. And it, it particularly helped, happened out in the Midwest, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. They all got hit really hard by this, this mass, massive um, epidemic. It was actually the greatest loss compared to any other plant disease in North American history. And disease in plants is, de is defined like this. It's defined as a suboptimal plant growth brought about by a continuous irritant. And that irritant is usually some kind of pathogen that gets inside the plant and, and makes it sick. And in order for disease, so we're going to have a little bit of... Uh, I think this is fall under bi biology, maybe horticulture. 
I got to get my words a little better. What, what is the study of plants called? Somebody help me out here. Study of plants. Botany? What'd you, what was it? I heard it. The study of plants is, what's the word? Horticulture? I thought I heard a lobotany or something like that. No, I'm, I'm going deaf. I'm going deaf. Horticulture. Okay, little horticulture lesson this morning. Um, in order for, in order, order for disease to flourish, it needs, it needs three things, okay? So if you're having problems with disease in your, your, your garden, it's probably a little late for this year, but for next year, okay? Here's three things that it needs. A, di- a disease needs a susceptible host. In other words, it needs a plant that's in, in bad soil or it's surrounded by weeds. It's, it's susceptible to disease. Number two, it needs a pathogen capable of causing disease. So a pathogen would be like a fungus or a virus. And number three is it needs a favorable environment. If the temperature's too hot, if it's too cold, if it's too windy, that sets up uh, 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 the opportunity for disease to come into that plant. Have you ever seen some of these palm trees that are planted around Ferndale? I don't know about you. Maybe you have one. Um, but I don't know about you, but I always feel so bad for these poor palm trees that are planted in Ferndale, right? Like, come on, that palm tree was meant to be in a hot environment where it's hot year long, but somebody wanted a reminder of their Jamaican honeymoon. So they put this poor palm tree in the front yard and it's likely yellow, scabby, a little withered. I, I don't think anywhere in Ferndale, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any place in Ferndale where there's like a tall, healthy, big, palm leaves, palm tree growing in this city. Maybe it's out there, point me in that direction, but I, I've never seen it. It needs to have the right environment. It may, it, it, and maybe those palm trees are not flourishing because it, it has disease from being in the wrong environment. But when you have these th- three things in place, a, a susceptible host, a pathogen, and a favorable environment, a plant will, will catch disease and wither. This is actually known in the horticulture world as the disease triangle. All these three things, susceptible host, pathogen, and in a favorable environment, those will cause a plant to get sick. And what's really interesting is if you look at a healthy plant, they also need some things, some very specific things in order to flourish. You got to have a strong plant. You got to have the right things getting into that plant, such as the uh, some water, you got to have sunlight, you got to have all the right nutrients, and you, you have to have a favorable environment. You have to have the right temperature, the right wind. Having all three of these will help your plant flourish. Get rid of one of these, and your plant is very susceptible to disease. And this summer, so we've been looking at this summer, how your life is kind of like a plant. A plant that Here's the good news. God created you to flourish. And he wants you to know life. He wants you to know life to the full. I hope you hear that just about every week here. That is the good God that we serve. Life to the full is his plan for you. He wants you to know love. He wants you to know what it's like to love others. He wants you to know joy. Not just the kind of joy the temporary fix you get when you win 20 bucks on that scratch and win ticket, not that temporary joy that you get when you crack open the, the blinds in the morning and you see sunshine. If you depend on sunshine for your joy and you're new around here, I got some bad news. Fall and winter is a coming. And the sunshine gets a little scarce. 
God wants you to know a joy that is deep down. It's lasting. It's the kind of joy that's going to carry you through the darkest nights of your soul, the darkest nights of your life. That kind of joy. God wants you to have that. He wants you to know peace and rest and contentment, hope, purpose, life to the full, flourishing. He wants you to be that plant that's just green fruit everywhere. And here's the thing. In order to flourish, Jesus said that you also need to have a few things in your life. Starts with number one, you got to have a rebirth. You got to be that that plant that is is set free from your sin. You need to be saved. Um, when it comes to flourishing in Christ, it's not just a, a nice plant or nice. It's not like just a nice paint job on a house. It's actually a a brand new creation. You are brand new in Jesus. But that's not enough to flourish. You can actually give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Him, put your faith and trust in Him, and find that. The weeks and the months and the years might go on. And you go, why in the world do I feel like I'm withering? Surely God has, has something else for me. I read through my Bible and I, I see these phrases like life to the full. I see these phrases like brand new creation. Why is it different for me? And, and the, the second thing that you need is you need to be connected and remain connected to Jesus. He is the living water that your soul needs. He's your daily bread. He is your sustenance. He's your strength. He's your help. In John 15, Jesus made it so clear that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we cannot bear fruit. Apart from him, we're going to be like that branch that's broken off from the vine and just withers. We have to stay connected to him. And this summer, we looked at, we've been looking at all the ways in which Christians stay connected to Jesus. We stay connected through spiritual practices, things like generosity, silence, solitude, celebration, prayer, rest, all these things. But here's the thing. You can have, you can be someone who has given your life to Christ. You can be someone who's remaining in Him, but you have all this favorable environment in your life, but you can have all that going on in your life and still not flourish if you have the deadly disease of sin lurking undealt with in your life. And I know someone is going, uh-oh, did he just say the S word in church? Yes. We're going to go there this morning. Um, King David was a man in Scripture who was, he was known for his heroic deeds. Um, just so you know, we ran out of water bottles this morning, and I promise this is water in this cup, okay? Um, <laughs> But King David, he, he, had, he was known for his heroic deeds, but he was also known for his, his uh, epic failings in life. And he often wrote about the effects of, of sin, and it's not a pretty picture. It's not the picture of somebody that's flourishing, it's the picture of somebody that's withering. One time in Psalm 38, he wrote this. He said, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. I'm exhausted, completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. And then over in Psalm 51, after he'd been caught having an affair and then murdering his mistress's husband, he prays to God, Oh, give me back my, or give me back my joy again. He lost it. And, and sin is, it's like that deadly plant disease and that it can cause an otherwise healthy, strong plant to wither and die. Just like with plants, you have to get rid of the, the disease if you're going to flourish. 
the, the way to get rid of the disease of sin in your life, and this is the practice that we're going to hang out on this morning, the way to get rid of the, the, the disease of sin in your life is through the all-important spiritual practice of confession. Confession. Now, likely, when you hear the word confession, there's a, a couple different pictures that might pop into mind. Maybe somebody in the room, the first thing that you think of is a, a dark, confined room. You've got the good cop and the bad cop and the person here on the other side of the table. You've got this little light bulb just swinging in the middle. And someone's saying, hey, just, just confess. Like, just get this whole thing over with. We can get out of here. We can move on if you just confess. Come on, we know you did it. Just confess. Maybe somebody else, you, maybe you grew up Catholic or maybe you watched too much TV. And the first thing that you think of is when you hear conf- confess, you think of a confessional booth. Right? Where you, you, you go into this little tiny booth, this little tiny room, and inside that room, there's, on the, on the other side of the lattice, there's, there's a priest. You walk in, and they, you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, to which the priest responds, you may proceed, which is your cue just to begin listing off all the stuff in your life. And, and for most people, though, when you think of con- confession, you don't think flourishing, You don't think life. You don't think joy. You don't think peace. You think shame and embarrassment. There's no way I'm confessing to nothing because I don't want anybody to know that stuff. No way. And we don't want to look bad. We don't want to we don't want to, want to look like we don't have it all together. We don't want to feel the weight of someone knowing about that thing in our lives. So what do we do? We keep quiet. We don't confess. And the result is that we end up simply trying to hide and we put this mask on and make it look like we have it all together. Anybody else besides me ever been guilty of doing that from time to time? By the way, this is something that both religious and non-religious people do. You know, sometimes I think the church gets this bad rap for being hypocritical, and yes, we can absolutely be hypocritical, but it happens both in the church and outside of the church. In the church, you, you have the person who's hiding behind their sin with this like perma smile. There's this buzz of church activity, very well manicured life. In the world, you have people hiding behind their, their good cause as they, they just gravitate towards that. They, they hide behind how non-judgy they are compared to everybody else. Meanwhile, judging everyone who doesn't believe in their cause as much as they do. We, we all practice this hypocrisy. We've been trained to elevate our virtue, to elevate the good things about ourselves and to fake it about everything else rather than be real and confess and potentially have to deal with shame and embarrassment. And the problem with this is that we will never discover what it's like to flourish in life because instead of flourishing, we will end up being like a big, beautiful plant, beautiful tree that on the outside, it's, it's got leaves, it's even maybe got some fruit, but inside there's a deadly disease that's working away at it, that's eventually going to show itself. And true spiritual formation or transformation is being able to face the reality of what we've done and to do so with peace and confidence. Let me explain that. Because this gets to the, the heart of what confession is all about. Confession is naming the reality of our sin, but not just the reality of our sin, It's being able to name the reality of God's love, God's forgiveness, God's compassion towards us in spite of what we've done. And and this is so much different than the good cop, bad cop 
scenario. It's different than the shame-filled confessional booth. Confession is not naming the reality of our sin in order to be shamed or judged. No, it's instead of, in light of the cross, in light of the nature of our God who's so forgiving, so full of grace, we can come before our Father in heaven and name the reality of our sin in order to be forgiven and healed. And so we're going to get into kind of how this works this morning. And there's really two parts of confession. There is the, the, the vertical and then there's the, the horizontal. You and I, we live in a culture, we're going to start with the vertical, that is, we live in a culture that's all about self-esteem. It's all about how um, just trying to get us and convince us to believe that we're just this amazing person and that the best way to deal with sin in our lives is just to kind of have positive thinking and just think lots of good, happy thoughts about yourself and just kind of deny all that other stuff. Deny the existence of it, and just it will magically somehow go away. That's what culture gets us to do. This is actually, in the church over the years, been an issue as well. In the early church, it was such a big issue that the Apostle John jumped in and, and wanted to deal with it in one of his letters to the church. He wrote them saying this. He said, if we claim that we have no sin, he's writing this to the church, by the way, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, get this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. That's good news right there, isn't it? If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. You see, all of us sin. If you walked in here today feeling like you are the only one that makes mistakes, you're the only one that has screw-ups, the only one in your life that has, has, has turned your back on God. You are not the only person. You, there's not a single person in this room that's perfect. Not one of us is without sin. Does this mean that we're enslaved to sin? No, the, the cross sets us free, but what this does mean is that when someone does fall, rather than judge, it only makes sense in light of our own sin and shortcomings and failures that we would walk alongside of them and see them restored, see, see them healed. In fact, this is exactly what Paul is referring to in Galatians where he says this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. See, the reality of our, our own sin enables us to help one another when we fall. And we're going to come back to this in just a second. And furthermore, the reality of who our Father is, that enables us to, to come to a place of just admitting, confessing, just being completely real with Him. And when we do, here's the promise. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, there's, there is nothing better than being in a place where you know you have wandered from God and you've decided to do things your way and not His way. But there is nothing like coming to Him and confessing and just saying, God, I've done fill in the blank. And he's so good in the way that he moves in and he brings forgiveness, he brings wholeness, he brings healing to our lives. And so when it comes to confessing to God, the vertical part of confession, here's how we do it. And King David, he gives us 
just a model example in Psalm 51. Three parts of this. First is this. You got to own it. You got to own it. So often the first thing that we do is what? We blame everybody else. It's my parents' fault. It's my culture's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's, the, it's my ex's fault. It's my boss's fault. We got everybody else. King David, when he, when he was caught in his sin, he owned it. He prayed this. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. There's no they there. There's no them there. There's no those people. It's all I. He owns it. Confession begins with owning it. And then it's, it's calling it what it is. It's not rationalizing it. It's not minimizing it, excusing it. It's not putting some kind of spin on it. It's coming before God and just calling it for what it is. David says, I have sinned. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He just says, this is what's, this is what's happened. And then lastly, it's asking for healing. You know, if you go back to that, the picture of the plant and uh, a plant that has disease, confession is like eradicating the disease from the plant. But then there's a Another part that has to happen where that plant needs to begin to, to get some healing. It needs to be restored. And when we confess to God, we're not just eradicating the disease. We're, we're, we're also inviting him in to bring healing and to bring restoration and renewal to our lives. David prayed this. He prayed, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. And if you feel distant from God, it's not that God has moved. It's that you have. And all you have to do is confess and invite him in to heal and restore, and, and he will. He will. So first part of confession is the vertical part. And the next part is the horizontal part. Scripture tells us in James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now we can read that and go, oh, I thought confession was just this me and God thing. Like why does it have to be others too? Why does this have to be a part of the equation? And here's the thing, though. When we confess our sin to God, He forgives, but there's a healing and there's a freedom that comes as we confess that to, to someone else. And, and let, me, let me just give you an example of how this works. Suppose there's a, a, a high school guy. We're going to use a high school. I don't think we have any high school guys in the room today, so let's use a high school guy. Um, suppose we have a high school guy. He's cheating on his, his test. And he feels really bad about it has some Holy Spirit conviction happening down here in his soul. So he goes to, to God and says, God, please forgive me for what I've done. God comes in, forgives. Another test rolls around. He doesn't study, decides, okay, I'm going to cheat again. And, and what's going on here? Well, he's keeping that thing a secret and carrying this load alone, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the only real way, and God knows this, this is why he's included this in his word, the only real way to slay the cheating monster in his life is to confess that, tell it to the teacher even, and say, hey, I cheated. Why? Because now he's being held accountable. Now he's going to suffer the consequences of a failed test or detention, and although it might be hard and will be hard to confess, the only thing harder than confessing is not confessing. 
because then you've got to deal with, with everything else. And for this high school guy, it could lead to eventually cheating on a job resume. It could lead to cheating on your taxes. Or worse, it could lead to cheating on your spouse one day. And so God has this plan, vertical confession, but confess to someone else so that you can, you can have someone to hold you accountable and check in on you and pray with you. True confession, it breaks the cycle of sin and removes that burden of guilt we suffer and we don't have to carry it. We don't have to carry it. It's like we lay it down. Scripture declares, make this your common practice. Common practice. We're talking about spiritual practices this summer. Not just like once a year practices. They're, they're called practices because a practice is something that you do all the time, right? And Scripture says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. That is a picture of somebody that is flourishing. And God tells us to confess to each other because if we don't, we will never live whole and healed. It's true. If we don't, we will never live whole and healed. You might think and believe the lie that says, hey, you don't really need to worry about that thing. It's not that big of a thing. Just kind of shove it to the side. You might believe the lie that you, you can live whole and healed if you just push that to the side, but it is a lie. You will never be able to live whole and healed until, until you make confession a part of your life. It just happens to be. And it happens, this wholeness, as I confess to others. So how do we do this? Well, really the key of true confession is it's not in finding a priest to confess to. It's not in finding a pastor to confess to. It's in having accountable relationships in your life. All of us need to have accountable relationships in our life. It starts with finding safe people, people that we know, people that know us, people who we can share whatever these, these, these things are that we're, we're, we're struggling with, people that won't judge us, but people that can walk with us no matter what we share. You need to have these people in your life. There is nothing more beautiful than being able to, to tell someone, hey, I've done this, and rather than getting the look, like, oh, really? Um, rather than being judged, they just pour grace on you. And they're like, I respect you for sharing that. I'm going to pray with you. I'm, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be here for you. When that happens, it is God's grace flooding in. I know because I've, I've had that happen myself. When someone is walking alongside of you, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But here's the thing. This requires a certain Thing in our lives, and that's vulnerability, because it, it will expose. When you confess, it's very, it's like, it's exposing. And by the way, gentlemen, this goes for us too. You know, sometimes we think, guys think of the word vulnerability, and like, ah, oh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lady thing. Like, let the ladies have their talk and their chat at the coffee time, and, but us men, no, we'll, we'll just go out golfing, and we'll talk about the weather and the football game, and and, uh, and, and if any of the guys decides to go, hey, can I share something with you? We're just going to be like, in that moment, praying, God, let my phone ring so I don't have to have this conversation right now. And so I can get out of here. Us guys don't handle vulnerability super well. But it is just part of being, being of, of living a life of confession. It's part of it. I was having a conversation with um, a couple of my kids on our summer vacation, and we were talking about this and talking about vulnerability, and and the, the the 
conversation it came up in the conversation just how that's I just feel so weak when I'm vulnerable like I just feels like a place of weakness again that that's another lie from the enemy vulnerability is actually courage vulnerability is actually strength if you can be if you can be in a place where you go okay I'm gonna like step through my fear and I'm gonna be vulnerable that takes that is stinking courage um, author Brene Brown, she writes a ton of stuff on, on vulnerability. And I, I love what she says about this. She says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. And that's what you're doing. When you're confessing, you're showing up. And you're, you're going, I'm going to be seen here, not just in the good things, but they're going to see some of the bad things that have been happening in my life. You're, you're choosing just to show up and be vulnerable and, and, and allow yourself to be exposed. And then she goes on to say, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. So good. Healthy vulnerability only happens in trusted relationships, in authentic community where we can, where we can have a, just a safe space and permission, permission to be ourselves. Yes, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. You don't know what's waiting on the other side of that vulnerability, that confession. It's a huge risk. It's a huge risk, but, but it's a, a risk worth taking. Um, at CTK, we actually, right across all of our campuses, we believe so much in this um, vulnerability. Sometimes we call it authenticity, where we're just real. We believe so much in this that we, in our mission statement, this is actually the very first thing that's in our mission statement. Our mission statement doesn't start with, we're going to go out and reach the world. No, our mission statement starts with, our, our mission is to create authentic, Christ-centered communities. It's, it starts with authenticity. It's right at the very beginning. In fact, when I first was, was looking at CTK and be, becoming a part of this, this church 13, 14 years ago, one of the things that just caught me was, oh, authenticity. I was wondering, is, it, is this church really, does it really mean that? Does it really mean that? It's, it's a huge thing for us as a church. And we do small groups. We do discipleship groups. We've got ministries like Celebrate Recovery. We, got, we have um, uh, student ministries. We do all of that stuff, not just so we can have some things fill up our calendar. Not just so we can have something to do. I mean, we all got a lot of stuff to do anyways. I don't know about you, but September's just like full-blown, like just the, the craziness of the season. But we do these things, and we have these things for a reason, and that's to, to give you a place to help create that environment, like that, that plant we're talking about. It's to create that environment where you can grow and you can, you can flourish. You can have some people in your life that, that know you and that, that you know where you can just be real and be, be honest. And I just encourage you, I don't know where you're at with your community. Maybe you've got some family in your life that you can just be super real with. Um, I, have, I have a couple, uh, uh, several people um, that that I can just be, like, just blah. Here's what's going on in my life. And you, you got to have those people in, in your life. Find somebody that you can trust and be real with, and, and I encourage you just to begin fostering that, that relationship. Just as we wrap up, there's a, an author. His name is Donald Miller, and uh, he wrote a couple books um, probably 20-ish years ago now, but one of them was called Blue Like Jazz, and he tells the story about when he was a student at Reed College in Portland, and uh, 
while he was there, um, Donald Miller uh, was part of a Christian campus group that decided to build a confessional booth during one of the big party events at the school. So if you know anything about Reed College, you're like, oh, that's a, cra- that's a, a crazy idea at any college, but Reed College, man, this is a really crazy out there idea. And, but they switched things around where normally a confessional booth, you go in there to confess your stuff, but they switched it around, and as students started to come in, it was the Christians who were confessing their sins. Not just personally, but even on behalf of the church and, and the ways that the church can sometimes hurt rather than help people. And Donald Miller writes just a little, writes a lot about the experience, but he writes this, these, these few sentences here, here that just kind of sum up the beauty of what happened. He said, all the people who visited the booth were grateful and gracious. I was being changed through the process. And I think those who came into the booth were being changed too. And the challenge for all of us in this room, all of you watching online, is will you go there? Will you go there? Are you willing to be real? Are you willing to be vulnerable, not only with God, but with, with one another? And not only with one another, but, but also with the world who is looking for a church that is real, that's authentic, that, that is not claiming to have it all together. I think sometimes the world looks at the church and goes, man, they just are up on their moral high ground all the time, and they never think they do anything wrong. But I think a church that can be real about who we are and just go, hey, I don't know what your impression is of the church, but man, we're a pretty jacked up bunch just to be honest with you. I think the world will find that attractive. I think the world will find that attractive. And this is the power of confession. It eradicates disease. It takes a withering soul, a withering world, and it causes it to flourish. In the New Testament, um, the word confess or confession, it comes from this Greek word, exam o logeo. It's where we get the word examine and the word logic. And, and when you get the idea of it, it's, it's, it's thinking deeply, taking time to examine yourself. And it's tied with what um, David prayed in Psalm 26. He prayed, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Isn't that a beautiful place to be? It's like, God, I know who you are. I know that you are faithful despite what I do, despite how I wander from you, despite how big the mistake might be. I mean, David's the guy who had an affair and he murdered the lady's husband. And he goes, I can be, I can come before God and just, because your love doesn't change despite the magnitude of what he did. He knew that God's love had not changed. And in that position, he goes, God, examine my life, examine my heart, exa- examine my mind, because God, I want to I live holy before you. I want to live pure before you. God, I want to be that flourishing plant, not just for my own sake, but God, I want to be that flourishing plant for the world around me, for the world around me. And you can come before him and lay it all out, bringing, and let him bring healing to your soul. And I want to just, as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to close in prayer, and I want to give you an opportunity in this moment to let the Holy Spirit just kind of like blow through your soul and just show you, 
Is there something in your life that you, you, you need to bring before him? Is there something in your life that you need to bring before that trusted friend or family member? Let him speak to you and let him, let him bring life, let him bring wholeness. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for the way that, as David prayed here, that God, your love does not fail. Your love does not fail. Lord, God, we can live our lives in reliance on your faithfulness. God, we might be unfaithful, but God, your word says your faithfulness does not change. It doesn't change. And Jesus, I just invite you, Holy Spirit, you are here in this place. I invite you, Lord, to speak to us in this moment. God, is there stuff in our lives? God, examine us. Examine our hearts. Examine our minds. God, is there stuff there that, that God, we've been shoving down? God, maybe there's some things in this room that people have been hiding for decades, and it's just been eating away at them. It's been, it has, it's, it's like that disease in that plant that's just causing it to wither and to get scabby. God's eating away at them, and this morning, God, you're bringing that to their mind so they cannot, not so they have to have shame and embarrassment, but God, so they can have life, so they can have life and freedom. God, help them to see that on the other side of confession, God, is, is life and is freedom that can only be found in you. So God, I pray that you would come in and speak to us in this moment. Speak to us in this moment. Speak to us in this moment. Show us, God. Examine us. Holy Spirit, examine us. Examine us, I pray. going to take a couple of minutes just to let him speak. Let, let the Holy Spirit speak in this moment. Show us, Lord. Just as we wrap up this morning, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week. 
Um, God, give us opportunities, God, to be real with the people around us in our workplaces. God, help us to know how to do that, not in a, not in a way that's necessarily oversharing st- stuff, but God, help us to do that in a way that's just where people can see that, hey, the church does not have it all together, and we get that. God, we're, we're just able to be real with who we are and give us opportunities in workplaces and schools. God, wherever we find ourselves this week, help us, God, just to carry this, this heart of, of authenticity, God, into the world around us. God, we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to wrap up this morning by singing one last song. And it's a song that just is a prayer. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. And so if God's been speaking to you, I just encourage you, make this your prayer today. And uh, as you can see, the ushers are going to uh, be passing the bucket down your rows. We sing this song. And if you're a, a guest here, we just invite you to let the bucket pass you by. But this is a way for, for all of us just to say, God, we give back to you our, our, our tithes and our offering as a, a worship to you is a heart of worship to you. So let's stand together as we sing this last song. And um, if you need to confess something to somebody, I encourage you before you even, maybe there's someone here in the room that you can confess to. Like, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Um, Find that person, but just go, okay, I I need to share this with you and, and have that person pray with you. But let's be people that live, live a life of confession, live a life of generosity. We live a life of prayer. We live a life of rest and solitude and all these things that we've talked about this summer. Amen? God bless.